There have been a number of occasions over the past several years, uh, both since I have been serving as the pastor of this church uh, and when I was serving as the assistant pastor of the vineyard in Pickerington, when in response to something that the church was doing, I've had people tell me this. Now, this is what churches really should be doing. And it was usually in response to some service project that we had done. You know, maybe we were giving people money toward fueling up their car, which the last time we did that, actually, uh, it went a little further than it would have gone uh, if we were doing those projects. Now, you don't see many churches giving toward fueling up your car uh, anymore, Uh, but we would give people money toward fueling up their car. Uh, While they were doing that, we would change their washer fluid, clean their car windshield, and, uh, and people would say, now this is what churches really ought to be doing. Maybe we were passing out free water at a parade, and someone would say, this is what churches really ought to be doing. Uh, Maybe we were picking up litter because we had participated in the Adopt-A-Road project, and of course we do that here in Pataskala through the Community Cleanup Day, and, and people will say, this is what churches really ought to be doing. When we redo the basketball courts at a public park, people come along and say, this is what churches really ought to be doing. And I've always tried to receive the statement as a compliment, but it has always felt to me, maybe I'm just a negative person, but it has always felt to me that any time someone has offered that observation that there was more that they left unsaid. It's always felt to me like if they had completed their thought, it would have sounded something like this. This is what churches really should be doing Instead of all that other worthless stuff you guys waste your time on. That's just kind of how it, how it feels usually when I've received that compliment. So when we build houses for Habitat for Humanity or serve the victims of Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Sandy, we are commended. And these are things, let me be very clear, that the church should be doing. But when we have worship services... And when we have training for children, and especially when we evangelize, the compliments don't seem uh, to head our way. You know, churches do a lot of different things. And when you are commended for some of the things you do, but not so much for other things you do, as a Christian, you can start to wonder, is it really these things we're being commended for that are the things we should be doing. And it seems to me that I've noticed a tendency in Christians over the past 8 to 10 years, uh, especially younger Christians, I feel like I've noticed a tendency among us to agree with the people who say, these are the things the church really should be doing. And and by that meaning uh, the basketball court projects and the handing out free water and the, the building of houses. So of all the things that churches do or could do, some widely commended, others not so widely commended, how should we determine what our priorities are as a church, as as the people of God? How should we decide what we should be doing? You know, the Bible is a big book, and it has a lot to say about how the people of God are to relate to the world. It says a lot about what God's people are to be doing. 
But it seems rather obvious to me that for us to answer the question, what should the church be doing, we ought to see what Jesus has said on that question. We, we ought to go to Jesus and see if he has talked about that. Honestly, we ought to be more concerned with what Jesus tells us the church should be doing than what uh, Billy Bob at Jiffy Lube tells us the church should be doing. Or Dr. Smith at Children's Hospital tells us what we should be doing. Didn't want to pick on Billy Bob. Uh, (laughs) We should be most concerned with Jesus. And we should really give special attention to what Jesus specifically If he said anything, and he did, we should be concerned with what he specifically told his followers to do once he left earth. If Christ is the head of the church, and he is, then his specific directions to his his disciples about what they should do once he returned to the Father should give us a very clear picture of what the church is to be about, what the mission of the church is, what the church is in the world to accomplish. And that leads us to what has been called the Great Commission. Now, for some of you who are newer to faith in Christ or, or uh, you're newer to the church, the Great Commission may be new to you. Uh, so I appeal to you today for your attention because as a follower of Christ, what we're going to look at in Scripture today isn't just the mission of the church, as if the church is some institution separate from you, it is your mission. Because all the church is, is a collection of Christians who together are the church. And for many of us here today, we're very familiar with the Great Commission. We've heard it over and over and over again. And for you who are very familiar with the Great Commission, I appeal that you would give me your attention today because after hearing message after message about it, maybe having the verses memorized, you may be tempted to think that there is nothing you can learn about the Great Commission. And you might even be right about that. You may know the Great Commission inside and out. But I still appeal for your attention today. I appeal for you to open your heart and receive yet another message on the Great Commission. I appeal for you to open your heart to what God may want to do in you today. Because here's something that's very important for us to keep in mind. Knowing the Great Commission is not the same as participating in the Great Commission. And though you may know the Great Commission... Before we're finished here today, I'm going to ask you to engage with this question, what are you doing about the Great Commission? I'm going to ask you to to wrestle with the question, what am I doing about the Great Commission? The mission of the church, what the church is to be about, what the church is in the world to accomplish is best understood, I believe, by looking at what Jesus had to say in the Great Commission passages of the church. So what is the Great Commission? Well, the Great Commission is most commonly associated with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But there are other complementary accounts of the Great Commission in the Bible. They're in places like Luke 24, Acts 1, and John 20. 
These references overlap with each other in some points. They have complementary material uh, in them on other points. And so for today, I've chosen three of the Great Commission passages for us to look at. Acts 1-8, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and Luke 24, 47. So what I want us to do today is find out what the Great Commission is. I believe this guides us to understanding what the mission of the church is, what the church is in the world to accomplish from now until Christ returns. So I'm going to read each of these passages that I've selected, and then after we read each of them, we're going to try to pull uh, from them individually and find the mission of the church, at least what it primarily is. So let's start uh, with the slides at Matthew 28, uh, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, let's go to Acts 1. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Luke 24, 47, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So we start out, I want to start out today with Acts 1, 8, because it gives what I believe is the starting point of our mission, the most fundamental of our responsibilities for this mission. We are to be Christ witnesses. We are to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Now, there's an awful lot in this one verse. We find that the Holy Spirit is going to empower us for the mission that Christ has given us. Uh, We find that the early disciples were to bear witness for Christ first in their own home and then expanding out from there to the entire earth. And their assignment, by the way, remains the assignment of disciples of Jesus today. And what I want us to see here primarily is that the fundamental mission of the church is simply bearing witness to Christ. Daryl Bach writes this, the commission, Acts 1.8, describes the church's key assignment of what to do until the Lord returns. The priority for the church until Christ returns, a mission of which the community must never lose sight, is to witness to Jesus to the end of the earth. The church exists in major part to extend the apostolic witness to Jesus everywhere. What does it mean for us to bear witness to Christ? It means at its most basic level that our mission is to verbally tell others about Jesus. To verbally share the gospel message. To speak up. To tell of the death and resurrection of Jesus and the life that can be had through faith in him. It is to tell of what he has done for us personally. It is to tell others of the change that Jesus Christ has made in our own lives. So the church's mission and your mission as part of the church is to simply tell the world about Jesus. To bear witness to Christ. The most referenced Great Commission passage is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Uh, Again, it reads this way, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what is the church supposed to do? It's very clear. Our primary task, according to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, is that the church is in the world to make disciples. To make disciples of all nations. But what does the disciple-making process look like? What all is included in this uh, command of Jesus to make disciples? Well, we saw in Acts 1.8 that part of what it means is to bear witness to Christ, to, to go throughout the entire world and tell the good news of Jesus. We see that again here in Matthew 28.19. The church is to go to all the world and tell everyone the good news. But then we're given more specific direction as to all that it means to make disciples. Matthew 28 implies something that is clearly stated in Luke 24, 47, and that is an indispensable part of our call to make disciples. Matthew implies, and Luke states clearly, that our mission is to include the preaching of repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. What the church is called to bear witness to isn't just that Jesus is a a good moral teacher that we do well to follow the things that he said. It isn't to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is a perfect model of of humanity at its very best. It, It isn't even initially an invitation to join with Jesus in transforming the world through acts of kindness and service. The good news that the church is specifically tasked with sharing is that forgiveness of sins is available through Christ when we repent. When we turn away from our sins and when we turn toward Christ, when we side with God against ourselves, when we agree that we are wrong and God is right. So the mission of the church is first and foremost to share the gospel, the good news that forgiveness of sins is available through Christ when we repent. Now here's something that I think is very important for us in our day and our time to note. That the mission of the church according to Jesus is tied very closely to a focus on personal salvation. Personal salvation. There is a critique that has arisen within the church against the church recently that the gospel of what people call personal salvation is somehow an incomplete gospel. That it is not until we partner with God in the transformation of the entire cosmos that we have the whole gospel. And friends, it is absolutely true that God is about the work of reconciling all things to himself. Not just men and women, but the entire created universe is fallen, and God is in the process of reconciling it all to him. But I would suggest to us today that the church is not necessarily tasked with doing everything that God is doing. 
God is doing some things that God has not asked us to do. And we can stay quite busy when we focus on what God has specifically told us to do. And the primary, hear the word primary, but the, word, but, but the primary concern that Jesus left with his church is to be about the job of proclaiming that salvation, personal salvation, is available in Christ when we repent. This is specifically stated in Luke 24. It's implied in Matthew 28, 19, which says that part of making disciples of all nations it includes baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism follows conversion. And so here in Matthew 28, we, we see repentance and forgiveness of sins in view. And of course, baptism also symbolizes our being in Christ and our inclusion in God's family. By the way, let me just uh, take a moment here and mention that on June 23rd, we will be holding our next baptism as part of our annual church picnic. It's going to be an outdoor baptism. Uh, Last year, we had our uh, first ever outdoor baptism. I believe 12 or 13 people uh, were baptized, and it was a great time. And so I would encourage you, if you have not been baptized since coming to faith in Jesus, you should be baptized on June 23rd. Listen, baptism is not a take-it-or-leave-it thing for Christians. It is commanded by Christ. It is part, it is central to the very mission that Christ gave his church. And beyond all of that, it is spiritually beneficial. If you go into uh, baptism understanding all that it represents, it symbolizes our washing from sin. It symbolizes our union with Christ. As we go down into the water, it walks out in a physical way the spiritual reality that has already happened, which is we get to bury the person that we used to be. All the wrong stuff we've ever done gets buried, never to be held against us again. And then we rise... To walk in newness of life as the new creations that we are in Jesus. Completely free. Completely separated from the past that used to define us. When we go into baptism understanding it properly. It is a powerful experience. It's commanded. You need to do it to be obedient. But you ought to want to do it because it is spiritually beneficial to you. So be baptized, June 23rd. So our mission is making disciples. We do that by being Christ witnesses around the world. We do that by preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins. We do that by baptizing people. And then we find in Matthew 28, 20, that part of the Great Commission is, quote, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The primary mission of making disciples, as well as this instruction to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, makes it clear that Jesus has a lot more in mind than evangelism and the initial response to evangelism. He had more in mind than seeing people converted with no follow-up or seeing people converted with no follow-through. Jesus wants those who believe in him, 
Jesus wants those who receive his free gift of salvation to become obedient, mature disciples. Or at least maturing disciples. So the mission of the church is not just evangelism. Oftentimes, churches and pastors are tempted to say that the mission of the church is strictly evangelism. But it isn't. It is evangelism and what we often call discipleship. A commitment to a lifetime of spiritual growth. Each one of us as followers of Jesus are to be committed to our own spiritual growth. And we are to be committed to the spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters in Christ. On the front of your bulletin today uh, is an image that we here at Vineyard Pataskala call the discipleship circle. It's on your bulletin this morning. It's on your bulletin this morning to again highlight uh, what the discipleship circle is meant to do for us. It's really meant just to be a reminder of the things that we need to be faithfully doing if we want to become obedient, maturing disciples. I'm going to offer just a, a very basic explanation of it. I encourage you to go to our church website at vineyard-christian.org. Uh, go to the spiritual growth uh, section of the website and a more thorough explanation of how to use the discipleship circle can be found there. But what this thing is meant to illustrate for us and remind us of is that if we want to grow, we have to keep Christ at the center of our lives. But it's not just Christ, but Christ and his cross. And the reason we feel like it's important to include the cross there is because, as I say a lot around here, we are not following Jesus simply as a great teacher. We are following Jesus, our Savior. And so we need him to be our Savior, not just our guide. And so, and so we need to keep Christ and his cross at the very center of our lives. And, and when we do that, we grow. And the way that we keep him at the center of our lives and the way that we grow is we pray we read God's word, and those are the, the little circles just around uh, the, the cross and Christ. And those are meant to uh, communicate that we do those things daily, that every day we need to be taking God's word into our lives. Every day we need to be communicating with God. Now, if you've been around here any length of time, you know that we're not setting the bar super high. You don't have to pray an hour a day. You don't have to read the Bible an hour a day. Just pray and read the Bible. If, if five minutes is what you can, can do consistently right now, do five minutes and work up from there. If one chapter, which we're trying to do as a church together, is all you can do right now, do one chapter. Uh, but, but do it every day. That's the key. Find something that you can do uh, every day. And then the, the other uh, um, segment, the segment in the circle that's uh, around the uh, outside of that uh, illustration uh, first says connect. And what Connect is to remind us of is that we need to be regularly coming together with one another to worship God together and to experience the public teaching of the Scriptures. That's what's primarily in view with connecting. And then Belong communicates to us that we should not be committed just to attending Sunday services. Start there. 
But, but that should not be the sum total of our commitment to the Christian community. It should progress to where we truly belong to the Christian community. And in our setting, a big part of the way that is walked out is by getting involved in a connect group. There are other ways, but that is one of the primary ways that you can really enter into the life of this Christian community. Grow reminds us that we need to be intentional about our spiritual growth. That sometimes we need to move beyond those times when we're just reading a chapter a day and we need to really dive deep into the scriptures. Grow reminds us that sometimes it's helpful to not do this on our own, but we go to other, other people who can help us. And so we do things like the walking with Jesus classes. Sometimes we read books by, by people who have a lot to, to, to say to help us in our spiritual growth. The discipleship circle also reminds us that service is an indispensable part to growth as a Christian. And it reminds us of our responsibility not to get completely isolated within our Christian community. But the the go section on the discipleship circle reminds us that we need to look outside of ourselves to a world that is lost and hurting and in desperate need of Jesus. So if we put all that we have talked about today together... We come up with something like this. You could, you could word this a lot of different ways, and I'm sure it could be worded much better than I'm going to, but, but we come up with something similar to this. The mission of the church is to make disciples of all people. We do this by bearing witness to the good news of Jesus Christ, by verbally telling people the good news of the gospel, We do this by preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins available through Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. We do this by baptizing people. We do this by teaching people to obey all the commands of Christ. And so the mission of the church includes evangelism and initial conversion, baptism, and then a lifetime commitment to become ourselves and to help others become more and more surrendered, more and more obedient to Jesus, growing in obedience and maturity. That's what it is to make disciples. This is the mission of the church, and it is the mission of every Christian. And there are a lot of ways that individual Christians can participate in the mission of the church. Let me give you just a few examples here today. There are many more ways that this can be done. This is just a sampling. One, simply share your story with a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, a friend. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. You are participating in the Great Commission when you do that. By simply inviting someone to church where they can come and hopefully experience the welcome of the Christian community, hopefully hear a message that exposes them to to the gospel and the goodness of God and God's love for them. When you do that, you're participating in the Great Commission. By giving yourself to teach the children of this community. One of the most uh, ripe Great Commission opportunities, the most fertile Great Commission opportunities that exist anywhere is children's ministry. I think right now we have 
18, 19 teachers for children's ministry? We have 16 teachers for children's ministry. Can I tell you how many we actually need? Minimum 32. We have half. And we have nearly 200 adults that consider this their church home. You can participate. You are participating in the Great Commission when you serve in children's ministry. By leading a small group that that aids people who have received Christ in moving from being justified into becoming devoted followers of Jesus. Moving into that, what we call being sanctified. By serving in the name of Jesus at the food pantry where you will have the opportunity to meet the material needs of people. One of those things that the church is always commended as really supposed to be doing, and we should do. But then you also have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because our food pantry partnership is not just any food pantry partnership. It is one where we are free to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. By partnering with International Friendships to reach international students that come to Ohio State from all over the world, some of them never having been exposed to the gospel message. By going on the annual missions trip to El Salvador, where we both serve people in the name of Christ and have the opportunity to proclaim the good news of Christ. By volunteering in our middle school and high school ministries, where you will have the opportunity to do both major parts of the Great Commission. You will have the opportunity to share the gospel with students who have not yet received Christ. We have those in our middle school and high school ministries. And then you will have the opportunity to assist the spiritual growth of students who have made an initial decision to receive Christ as their Savior. By serving on the welcome team on Sunday mornings where you have the opportunity to show the love of Christ, to extend the welcome of God's kingdom to people who come into this church. The love and the welcome that you show as a member of the hospitality team may just be the thing that opens a person's heart up just wide enough that when they come in and hear the gospel message preached, they are receptive. Here's another one. By finding a newer Christian and coming alongside them to share with them what you've found helpful in your own spiritual growth. Encouraging them toward continued growth in their own lives. And let me just say this. People often come to the church and say, and by that I mean by kind of like the leaders of the church, the institution of the church. And they say, hey, the church needs to do something about discipling people. We need like one-on-one discipleship. I don't disagree with that. I would love for us to see some formal ministry of one-on-one discipleship at some point. But, you know, if I can just be honest, you don't need any formal ministry of the church to do one-on-one discipleship. All you need to do is allow God to move on your heart and place somebody on your heart and walk up to them and say, Hey, I notice you're new to faith. I've been at this thing a while. I don't know everything, but I know a few things. And, And I'd love to be a part of your life and... See if I could help you out a little bit. I know that's a revolutionary thought. But it doesn't take any great organization. It doesn't take any flow charts. It doesn't take any rosters. It just takes Christians with a heart for the Great Commission. 
And let me say to you younger Christians, you, you don't need to wait for someone to come say, hey, I'd, I'd like to tell you what I know. Find someone who, who you at least perceive, they'll tell you if you're wrong, but who you at least perceive uh, knows a thing or two, has, has walked with Jesus for a while, might be able to help you and say, hey, could you help me? Could you help me? You can participate in the Great Commission by saying, yes, I'll leave my comfort zone. I'll, I'll step out and be involved in planting a church in a, in a new community that needs a strong Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, life-giving church. By the way, don't forget the next Sunday we have a church planting interest meeting after the service at noon uh, in my office. If you are interested at all or you're just curious, you're invited. These are just a few of the ways that we can participate in the Great Commission. And so I want you to consider this question that I warned you at the beginning was coming. What are you doing to help the church fulfill its mission? We are in a, entering the honest zone, okay? The truth-telling zone. The speaking the truth in love zone. Don't we all love that zone? You guys love the speaking the truth in love area, right? Wow, you guys are. <laughs> You're too honest to say yes to that, aren't you? Here's the sad reality. Far too many Christians are not doing anything about the Great Commission. And Christians have all kinds of excuses for not doing anything. Let me tell you some things that are excuses. On some level, they may be reasons, but really, they're excuses. Let me tell you what they are. I don't know what my gifts are. I can't figure out what God is calling me to do. If you can't figure that out, I will help you. (laughs) Children's ministry. (laughs) And I'm not really joking. I'm shy. I'm just too busy. I really don't like people that much. (laughs) I tried to serve once and it didn't go well. Well, isn't that sad? (laughs) If that was the standard, nothing would ever get done. Because let me tell you something, wherever you serve, no matter how well it goes, there's going to be parts of it that aren't going to go well. I know of what I speak. I find it's better for me just not to get too involved. I do better spiritually if I stay to myself. My big toe hurts. (laughs) And the list could go on and on and on. There is no limit to the creative things that Christian people come up with as to why they can't do anything for the kingdom of God. Now, let, let me just share a couple things here. Knowing what your gifts are is a good thing. And the church really does need to help people discover their gifts. And we do some of that in the Walking with Jesus class. And we hope in the future that we're going to do even more of that. That we're going to get better as leaders of the church at helping you discover what your gifts are. 
Sensing a call of God on your life to a specific ministry, knowing that you know that you know that you are called to that is a really good thing. And I hope that happens for you. Being really busy, overextended is a bad thing. And I'm sorry that that might be your your situation. I find that it is for most of us. And if we can just continue with the truth-telling here for a minute, most of our busyness is self-inflicted. Because very few of us don't choose most of the things that keep us running around like chickens with our heads cut off. We choose almost all the things that make our schedules have zero margin. There may be some exceptions to that, but generally speaking, usually the case is we did it to ourselves. And I'm sorry you tried to serve and something went bad. That, that is an unfortunate thing. And I'm sorry your big toe hurts. That's a crying shame. But honestly, you do not have to have an intricate understanding of your giftedness, and you do not have to be specifically called in order to do something that serves the mission of the church. In his book, Just Do Something, Kevin DeYoung, who is one of my uh, favorite voices in the the Christian church uh, currently, says... That Christians use this thing of needing to know what God has called us to as an excuse for doing nothing. And I think he's right. You don't have to have an intricate understanding of your giftedness. You don't have to be specifically called to do something. And I am sorry you're so busy. And I'm sorry I'm so busy. But I have to tell you the truth that being busy is a lousy excuse for not doing something that contributes to the Great Commission. Now hear me clearly, you don't need to do everything. The mission does not rest on your shoulders. None of us can do everything, but all of us need to do something. And I'm sorry you don't like people. And I'm sorry you're so self-centered that you think... Your spiritual growth is the only spiritual growth that matters. And I'm sorry your big toe hurts. But none of... Did I, did I get enough use out of that one? All right. <laughs> but none of these are excuses for not doing something that contributes to the fulfillment of the church's mission. Now listen, here's a statistic that almost any pastor anywhere in the country will tell you. About 20% of the people in most churches keep the place going and everybody else sits and watches. Now, I think the involvement level in our church is higher than that. Good job. But it is not what it should be. Can I tell you what the involvement level in ministry for Christians should be in any local church? 100 percent. And I, I hear your objections. I hear the arguments you're throwing at me right now. Well, I don't have to, 
I don't have to be involved in a formal ministry of the church to be involved in the Great Commission. I agree with you. We have said that since the beginning of this church. Not, not all ministry has to flow through the, the, the formal ministries of the church. But can I let you in on a dirty little secret? Most Christians who are not participating in a formal ministry of the church, that's not that way because they're so busy participating in the Great Commission on their own. Everybody love me? (laughs) And one more thing. (laughs) This complaint that sometime years ago, you in passing mentioned to a ministry leader that somewhere down the road, you might, maybe, possibly, if the planets align just right, be interested in helping them with their ministry, and then they never got back with you. That's a bad thing. They didn't get back with you. But it's no excuse for not doing something. And can I encourage you? I mean, if you've been a Christian for more than like three days, don't be so fragile. Don't be so fragile. The church has a mission to fulfill. You have a responsibility to be part of that mission. And so if you're a Christian, whether this remains your church after today or you go to another one, (laughs) if you are a Christian, you need to do something. And if you leave here as a result of this message... I will track you down at your new church and tell your new pastor to get a hold of you because you need to do something. And whoever I just pointed at, it was purely accidental. You you probably are doing something. That's just... All right. Now place yourself, and I'm getting, boy, I've really talked a long time here today, but um, I'm about to wrap up. Place yourself now in the sandals of Jesus' first disciples, the, the people who first verbally heard this mission given to them. And imagine how daunting this was. I mean, they were it. There, there weren't two billion Christians in the world. They were it. Of course, there weren't two billion people in the world, but but they were it. There was a whole big world of people out there who, who not only weren't disciples of Jesus, but had never heard anything about Jesus. In addition to giving us the Great Commission, Jesus in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 gives them and he gives us a great promise. Here's what he said in Matthew 28, 20. After giving them this daunting mission, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He did not ask them to do this alone or in their own power. But he promised that he would be with them as they went about carrying out this mission that he had given. Acts 1, 8 offers essentially the same assurance In Acts 1, Jesus promises that they won't have to do this in their own power, but that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. 
The Holy Spirit's going to empower them to carry this out. And then Luke 24 does the same thing. It assures them that they will receive heavenly power to carry out their mission. If you read just a little further into Luke 24 uh, than the verse we put up today. Those early disciples took the gospel throughout the known world. They turned the Roman Empire upside down or right side up, however you want to think about that. And they did it in a relatively short amount of time because they were empowered by God's Spirit. And friends, our task is still daunting. Yes, there are 2 billion Christians in the world. But we are told that somewhere around 1.7 billion people alive today have not been evangelized. Many of that 1.7 billion have never heard the name of Jesus. Our task is daunting. In the West, including America, we're increasingly secular. We assume that people in the United States know what the gospel is. But friends, in increasing numbers, people in the United States of America living right next to you in good old Pataskala, Ohio, USA, have no concept of the gospel message. We're told that the largest growing segment of the population when it comes to religion is the nuns, people who profess no religious belief whatsoever. That's the largest growing segment. Our task is daunting. And for each of us individually, the thought of participating in the Great Commission, of being stretched out of our comfort zone, of possibly being asked to serve in a ministry that might be difficult, being asked to serve in a place that might be frustrating where, where fruitfulness is, is hard to see or, or hard to come by, this is a daunting thought. Just like it was for the early disciples, our task individually and corporately is daunting and the mission truly is great. But friends, we are not alone. The the promise wasn't just for them. The great promise wasn't just for them. It is for us. We have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out our mission. And every single person here today, and I've spoken to you very directly here today, Every single one of you who are intimidated by the thought of stepping out of your comfort zone and beginning to do something about the Great Commission, the Great Promise is for you. From Christ himself, he promises you that you will not step out on your own. You will step out with the presence of God. You will step out in the power of God. And with the Great Promise... There is absolutely no reason for doing nothing. So I encourage you to step up today. Make a commitment to the Great Commission. Step out in faith like those early disciples did. Trusting that God will make good on his promise to empower you. And do what he's assigned us to do. Do what he's called us to accomplish in his name. Why don't you stand?